Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We take a look back at some of the biggest stories of 2021 in Hamilton with Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Public Services and Procurement Minister and local Liberal MP Philomena Tassi joins us for a look back at this year from Parliament Hill. And Paul, Shona and I reconvene at the Good Morning Hamilton Roundtable. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Good morning and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 900 CHML. Rick Samprin here and joining us on the line for a look back at what was, uh, well, an interesting time in Hamilton in 2021. That's Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Mr. Mayor, good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, certainly dominating the headlines, the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been, uh, well, almost two years now. Uh, we've been in pandemic mode. Uh, what are some of the uh, the highlights and maybe some of the lowlights when you look back at the last 12 months that come to mind? Well, you know what, uh, I mean, who thought we would, uh, you know, at some point be shutting down our economy, uh, you know, in, in many respects on all of our facilities. But, uh, you know, we're kind of past that now. There was uh, early on concern about the availability of vaccine and uh, that's been overcome. So we've come a long way through uh, this entire pr- process as a community. We now, uh, you know, at uh, 80 plus percent of uh, our population double vaxxed and uh, looking to continue with uh, the children over five getting vaccinated and that's moving along quite nicely and and then we run into omicron which uh obviously uh towards the end of the year at uh, probably the worst time of year in terms of having this happen we're now challenged with uh, a a variant that uh has taken on a whole new uh, uh transmissibility that's causing us to kind of back up into where we were in 20 uh, 2021 so uh, you know what? Uh, uh, we're uh, we're working quickly now to uh, to get boosters into arms. Uh, we're expanding our facilities uh, to be able to do that. We're seconding more staff from uh, other places, so you can expect uh, in the coming days that we'll have uh, closures of some of our facilities, some of our rec centers, some of our museums, so that we can take those staff and bring them into the uh, either vaccination process or contract tracing process. That's going to be so critical to uh, to managing this uh, now evolving uh, variant uh that's but that's uh, you know the pandemic hasn't been the entirety of our year uh we've had uh, the two billion dollars worth of uh, uh commercial industrial residential uh, development projects uh, happening in our city the good news on some 40 percent of that being commercial industrial which is really all about jobs so i'm thinking about the amazon fulfillment center or the uh, striker facility out in uh, Clappison's Corners or the new uh, new uh, CHCH studio that's being developed uh, up there. Uh, you know, lots of new uh, employment opportunities uh, coming to the city of Hamilton, which is really good news. And we've just finished with uh, a, a great cup, a, a, you know, a football season that uh, that culminated in, uh, you know, a great celebration here in Hamilton uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. And so uh, we won that exercise, even though we didn't win the game. <laughs> uh, although we could have, it was close. Uh, we did win a you know a pretty substantial CFL uh, Grey Cup celebration that uh, happened right here in Hamilton to the benefit of our hospitality sector, our hotels, our, our motels, and uh, our restaurants. Uh, all you know flourished through this period, and that certainly was a boost that they could uh, well enjoy. And uh, and now we're looking to uh, you know how how do we go from. Uh, from where we we've been in a, in a reasonably successful year overall as a municipality, 
to now dealing with this uh, new emerging variant that uh, is going to cause us some additional challenges. Certainly over the summer months, uh, I I think we were all feeling good, or at least uh, thinking things were progressing nicely uh, amid the pandemic. And lo and behold, Omicron uh, comes around at, as you say, the worst time of the year. Your thoughts as the new new variant developed, arrived here, and is now impacting things, uh, what are some of the feelings that went through your mind? You know, it's uh, at first you, uh, you you know, there's that kind of crush of disappointment. Uh, you know, why now? And you know, there's a, there's a bit of a woest uh, woest all of us kind of feeling about that. But uh, you know, that quickly transforms itself into uh, you know, we can all be anxious and unhappy or angry about it. But that's not going to help us one little bit. What we need to do is turn all of that into action. And uh, that that's really my first thought is how do we how do we mobilize to contain this as much as possible uh, to not overrun our healthcare system to keep people safe, minimize uh, the amount of people that are going to get critically ill. And fortunately, by virtue of, you know, the vast majority of our population getting vaccinated and continuing to uh, to get boosters, that's going to serve us well. And uh, and we're you know, we are ramped up to the point where we're able to deliver that, uh, you know, pretty, pretty pretty well, although, you know, I, I do want to manage the expectation that we're now, you know, looking at some 340,000 people that are eligible for boosters and our first doses and or kids uh, five and over that uh, have not yet been vaccinated. That is a massive, uh, you know, massive effort that's going to take a few months. Uh, it's not going to happen in a few days. So, you know, we want to ask everyone to be uh, patient and then at the same time, you know, start adhering to the measures that we've been asking people to adhere to all the way through. So, you know, that feeling of anxiety that I think we all feel needs to quickly transform into uh, into action, uh, actions that keep you safe and keep others safe. And uh, hopefully we'll keep our economy uh, somewhat buoyant. And, you know, the worst scenario would be, and that, that certainly occurred to me, was, uh, you know, are we heading towards another lockdown? And at this moment in time, it doesn't look that way. But uh, certainly none of that is off the table. Looking back at the last 12 months of uh, 2021, one of the big stories is the affordable housing issue. We were supposed to have a housing summit that's been delayed until January. What do you want to see come out of that? Well, uh, you know, a stronger, a stronger partnership, Rick, between the federal and provincial governments. You know, the only way that we're going to resolve or solve the housing uh, issues that we're, we're currently challenged with right now, and, and, and has been a challenge for the better part of 25 years, quite frankly, but now heightened by this pandemic even more, uh, is, is a, you know, a three-way partnership to make these things work with actually a four-way partnership to uh, to make this work with the private sector, uh, municipalities, provincial government, federal government. So, you know, the housing summit, I, I, in my in my view, the overall intent is to, to, to form and develop the kinds of partnership that will make this successful. The cost of providing, you know, affordable housing uh, and housing at all in, the, in our community, has, as you know, has gone up significantly. So we're, you know, in Hamilton at 500 plus per square foot to be able to build new housing. That is a, that is an expense that uh, probably no one level of government can manage or maintain right across the country. And so we're going to have to partner. We're going to have to be creative. We're going to have to use lands that, uh, that currently might be uh, utilized uh, for, for something else and transform that into housing opportunities. All of those kinds of uh, levels of creativity have to apply here. So I'm hopeful that the summit, when it happens, uh, and it'll happen virtually. I think it's just being transformed from an in-person to a, to a virtual virtual gathering. 
uh, I hope it leads to a the kinds of robust partnership that will lead to you know significant resources being delivered that will help us uh, you know deal with the housing affordability shortfalls and uh, and the homelessness issues that uh, that we're all plagued with right across the country. You mentioned from housing affordability or unaffordability to the homelessness issue, the encampment issue in Hamilton has been a hot topic in 2021. Where does that stand, and where do you see it going? Well, we uh, you work every day, Rick, to uh, to get people housed into a either shelter space or or affordable housing space. Uh, that's an ongoing effort that uh, happens with a you know, team of uh, staff uh, resources each and every day. Uh, I would hope that we would get uh, help and collaboration from those that are trying to uh, prevent uh, our 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 work. Uh, you know, the events of recent, uh, you know, weeks have clearly indicated that uh, these tent uh, tent environments are not safe and secure places. They're, uh, they're potentially dangerous. They're, uh, you know, their lives are at risk uh, when, when we're in encampment situations. And, uh, and, you know, everyone deserves to have a roof over their head in some manner or another. And that's that's the objective that we're all working towards. Uh, what we need, uh, you know, by and large, is we need more resources be put in for those that are particularly difficult to house that need wraparound supports. That's been the challenge. We have some, but we certainly don't have enough. And the pandemic has accelerated the folks uh, out there with addiction and mental health issues that are living rough in our community. Uh, They need uh, not just a roof over their head. They need addiction counseling. They need mental health counseling. They need health care and nursing support. All of that needs to be in place before they actually can get properly housed somewhere. And that is a an ongoing challenge that we're going to actually talk about when we go to the summit. We've already uh, made application to the province for additional resources to be able to manage that better uh, in our community. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a secondary application is going forward that uh, will hopefully help them address what I think is a public health issue. Uh, these are folks with significant public health, mental health uh, health and well-being challenges that need uh, a lot of attention and support. And to be able to provide that, uh, you know, shouldn't solely land on just the municipality. It's a collective responsibility. I want to shift to crime here with Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. Hamilton has set a dubious record of 18 homicides in 2021. What does that mean to you? And uh, we are hearing word that some money is going to be on the way for provinces and municipalities to potentially ban handguns your thoughts on both of those issues uh well you know i'm happy to hear that uh you know something i've been uh, been talking about for quite some time and you know not not without objection in the broader community but uh, i see no reason for uh, anyone in a municipality or an urban setting like ours to have a handgun uh the uh, you know the, the the very fact that people have them uh you know at some point would cause them to use it in some manner or another and that leads to the kinds of uh, tragic outcomes that uh, we just finished talking about, uh, you know, 18 deaths. Uh, having gunplay in the city, people standing on the street shooting at one another is just beyond the pale. It's unacceptable. And, uh, you know, gun availability has a lot to do with that. That doesn't solve all of the gun problems, but it certainly goes a long way. And, you know, homicides, one death is too many. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, during challenging, uh, difficult pandemic years, uh, you know, we see a lot of things that get amplified. And certainly the homicide issue has somewhat amplified as well. 
We see a lot more addiction uh, issues to uh, coming to the fore. We see a lot more mental health issues coming to the fore. Uh, the housing challenges that we're talking about. So the, the the pandemic itself has amplified all of these issues and and made them more pronounced, and uh, and more difficult to deal with. And that uh, that is going to require additional resources right across the board, not only now but in future years, because these these impacts don't go away even if we manage to to eliminate the virus. And and this virus isn't going to go away as long as it exists in our global environment. And so at some point we're going to have to live with the virus. And at some point we're going to have to deal with the outfall of all that it's caused in our communities and start adjusting our healthcare system, uh, start adjusting our, our uh, policing capacity. And I, I would say, I would argue against defunding the police. I think it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Uh, you know, proper training and uh, de-escalation, all of those things that police are involving themselves in to try and uh, minimize negative impacts for folks in our community are, are critical parts of uh, what policing needs to do in the future, now and into the future. But uh, having less police officers isn't the answer. Uh, uh, more police officers, in fact, is probably going to be needed as we deal with more complex, more challenging, more uh, uh, aggressive policing issues. So I would see uh, creativity happening on the policing front. Um, but I, I would see a, a real, real effort being put into putting a focus on all of the things that have been amplified by this pandemic and uh, putting more resources into those spaces in future years. One more uh, question for you, and I do appreciate you hanging on for a little while than originally planned. Uh, the resiliency of Hamiltonians this year has been on full display. What's your message to residents as we say goodbye to this year and look forward to 2022? Well, I, I, I've got nothing but gratitude. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to wrap my arms around all of our citizens and give them all a big hug and give them comfort that we're, uh, we're in this together. Uh, we're doing some great things together collectively. Uh, you know, the vast majority of our population has been doing the right thing and they're up to the challenge. And even though we, uh, we've managed to see a bit of a setback in, uh, in recent uh, days and weeks, uh, we're up to the challenge. We can, uh, we can manage this. And uh, as long as we uh, take an attitude of uh, collective support, not only of uh, our family and friends, but our neighbors and our society at large, we are going to uh, come out of this uh, just fine, as we have with other, uh, other various var variants. Uh, at the same time, I would say there, there has been loss of life and, uh, you know, condolences go out to those that, uh, that have been impacted so, so tragically as a result of this virus. And that's an outcome that we want to prevent. And if we all uh, stay as resilient as we have been and uh, mindful of the impacts of these viruses, that it could lead to uh, you know, the demise of some of our family and friends then uh, I know that uh, our citizens at large are going to do everything they can to participate in the, uh, the public health measures that we're talking about uh, with the full knowledge that they have uh, full support from our federal, provincial, municipal governments. And I'll add to that, you know, kudos to yourself, your staff, everyone at Public Health. It, it hasn't been perfect at times. It's impossible to be perfect during a pandemic, but a lot of the things, uh, measures that have been put in place have uh, done, uh, you know, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful job in terms of executing that plan and getting us as safe as possible. So, again, uh, congrats on uh, the leadership yep. that you have displayed and uh, on to bigger and better things in 2020. 22. Well, thank you, Rick. And if you'll allow me, just, just to, to reinforce that message you, you just delivered, which is the public health system, uh, our public health uh, administrators, uh, Dr. Uh, Elizabeth and the uh, emergency operations 
uh, team, uh, you have uh, most people have no idea the amount of effort it's taken for for all of that to come together to uh, to keep people safe. And uh, I know they're exhausted and challenged, but I just want to give them a lift to say, you know, we are eternally grateful for your heavy heavy lifting through this entire process. And uh, to reinforce what you just said, were it not for all of those folks, uh, we would be in very, very uh, difficult, dire straits. So we owe them all a, a sense of gratitude. And if you if you know a healthcare practitioner or a public health administrator that's been working through this process, give them an extra kudo uh, over Christmas because uh, they're the reason that we're doing as well as we are. Well said, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for your time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will uh, check back with you in 2022. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and everyone else uh, out there in your in your viewership. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Final edition of Good Morning Hamilton's Roundtable with Paul and Shona for 2021, if you can believe it. Wow. This is it. So Time I, does fly. I guess having a good time. Yeah, I guess uh-huh. we got to go out with a bang. <laughs> I, don't know. I was just going to mail it in, to be honest. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> I'm wearing sweatpants today. So Are you know. really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about doing ca- that. It's, it's casual Friday yeah. on Christmas Eve. I got the jeans. I got jeans. I should I should have gone with jingle, the sweatpants jingle, though. Jingle. I, I was telling Paul earlier I had a, 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 I had Burger King last night for for supper, <laughs> yeah. and I had my favorite, the Roadhouse King. I know, it is, I gotta it's try a it. remarkable you, burger. You, you, I gotta try it, man. It's so good. <laughs> and but I was telling Paul that the burger itself is twenty six hundred calories. Hi, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, my daily intake uh, level was exceeded. <laughs> I, I was suggesting I'd go out and get some junk food breakfast this morning, and Rick very calmly said I had. 2,640 calories in one thing. And yet you didn't have to wear the sweatpants. This no, morning. I know. That's amazing. I think these jeans have like the stretchable waist. <laughs> well, once you reach a certain age, you can get those kind in. They're in style. You've got the little waistband that stretches out. And I love being this age where, you know, nothing really matters as far as style. <laughs> nothing really matters. Yeah. On this note, are you surprised that acid wash jeans are not in style again? I mean, everything else no. has come back. Well, really? yeah, I mean, you'd think that they'd be back because, I mean, people buying jeans with ripped in them yeah. On, yeah. on purpose. Yeah. You know. Hey, I have a pair of jeans that have rips in them and pearls as an accent. So, yeah. I and mean, you know, it's all over the place. You have to, to me, you have to be a certain age to wear those ones with, with actual, you know, built-in rips. I saw a guy yesterday, yesterday kind of my age with them on, <laughs> and I... I actually laughed into my, it, my you know, my to myself. Yeah. I just thought, buddy, yeah. you're way too old, man. <laughs> have you old. have you seen? And it's primarily girls who wear this. I haven't seen any guys wear this. Like the jeans where, like almost the entire thigh is exposed. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the purpose of these jeans are, other than to maybe protect <laughs> the know, calf area. Years and years ago, when I was working at another radio station, this is like late 80s, early 90s, and we were doing a charity fundraiser for the Food Bank for Niagara. My father was the chairman at the time, and we were doing a charity hockey game. Mm -hmm. One of the announcers there was wearing really ripped jeans, which was the style at the time. And my dad came up to me, and he's a very sweet man, and he said, you know, if if she needs some food, (laughs) he was totally serious and just such a sweetheart. And it was like, no, Dad, that's that's just the style. (laughs) And did he roll his eyes? No, he was like... 
I just don't understand. <laughs> yes, fashion is uh, certainly it's, a thing. It's a changing thing all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Do you think, this is our poll question today, do you think 2022 is going to be better than 2021? Before you guys chime in, the voting, uh, we have an optimistic listenership, that, that is for sure. Yeah, 37% say yes, another 37% say I hope so, and 25% say no. 2022 is going to be even worse than 2021, which I can't imagine. How optimistic are you guys? Shona, you want to start on that? I think my uh, my honest response is one that the CRTC would not <laughs> approve no, of no. my saying. I'm really, really hoping it yeah. will be. Yeah. I think we're all kind of, you know, up to our eyeballs with mm-hmm. all this COVID stuff. I, I'm, I'm a positive person. I'm thinking 2022 is going to be better. Maybe just marginally, but I'm, I'm, I'm holding with you. it open. I'm with you. I think it's going to be better. Yeah. I, th- I think we're still going to have COVID's going to be around. Yeah. It's going to mm. be, you know, we're, we're, we're going to, we'll be talking about this coronavirus for years to come because it's going to be like a cold, mm-hmm. you know, or hopefully a cold. And so that's going to be in it. And hopefully 2022 is when that truly takes effect. I mean, even even this latest one, Omicron, it's spreading like crazy, but all the indications are it's nowhere near as serious as far as the symptoms go as Delta. Hospitalizations are not climbing nearly at the rate of the caseload. So hopefully that this is the first sign of it's yes, it spreads. I mean, the cold spreads pretty rapidly, too. You yes. Know? That's uh, yes, it spreads. But the symptoms and, and the severity of it won't be nearly as severe. This is my hope for 2022. Yeah, I think. Yeah, my, my hope and my my thought is, you know, 2022 is going to be the year that we start to come to grips that we're just going to be living with this thing for. I mean, I think we're already kind of feeling that anyways, but we'll be living with. This variant or, uh, you know, a variant of the variant for forever, basically. Living without panic form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good yeah, way to put it. Because we go into the panic mode every time right now. So Yeah. So while I was driving to Burger King uh, last night. <laughs> Which from your house <laughs> like, actually is quite a drive. Yeah. So that must be one heck of a burger. That, it, it, number one, if anyone from Burger King is listening, we need more Burger King locations <laughs> in this community. Yes. Namely in the Fennel Upper Wellington area, so I don't have to drive all the <laughs> way to Stony well Creek. I don't think, fine, I think it will not be good for you, Rick, if there were more Burger Kings closer to your home. So I'm driving all the way to Stony Creek last night because that's where it is. Centennial North and Barton. Uh, And again, I live up on the mountain. So driving in the snow, I'm listening to the Scott Thompson or the Scott Radley show last night. Yeah. uh, Weeknight 6 to 8. Shameless plug here on CHML. And they were talking about weird, strange Christmas traditions. And so Ben Strawn, the technical producer of the show, was sharing his family's tradition on last night's show. And uh, this is what he had to say. So my family on my mother's side, Polish, Ukrainian, a very Slavic family, Eastern European. But a tradition that we have had for as long as I could remember was before anybody would be eating any Christmas dinner or anything of the sort, everybody sitting together will break off a piece of garlic, like a garlic clove, Take the skin off and eat it raw. Yeah. So that is the Ben Strawn household weird Christmas tradition. And so none of them want to be together and near each other Christmas morning. <laughs> and, yeah, and the, idea. Thinking, the dinner ends right there. I'm thinking that cultural tradition 
is a far cry from the mistletoe cultural tradition. Yes, very much so. Uh, there is Ukrainian, not in my direct family, but I certainly have been involved with Ukrainian families a lot. Yeah. Uh, I've been at their house on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Never was I forced to eat one <laughs> clove of garlic. So I'm, I'm assuming it's the Polish side of his family. Maybe. Well, you know, the, the, the Polish families I've been involved with around the holiday period, yeah. the most extreme thing was first thing in the morning, first thing, you pound back a shot of vodka. Okay, see, that's acceptable because it's a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you're not driving anywhere, you're good. Do you have any family traditions I, like that? I do, or? and I actually picked it up from my wife's side of the family. So every Christmas morning, uh, w- with my family growing up, it was a mad rush to the tree. We would have to wait for our parents to wake up, obviously. And then, like, everyone was tearing apart, you know, their Christmas gifts. Right. In our household, one person plays Santa Claus, so to speak, and hands out one gift at a time to an individual. They unwrap it. We all kind of look and, you know, ooh and on, on to the next gift we go. So that's what we've developed over the years. You I guess have that's a, I mean, if that's a tradition, then that's the way I was raised in my family. We, we did it one at a time and, yeah. you know, somebody had the hat on and... uh I mean, Christmas morning <laughs> took an eternity because you know. I mean, <laughs> if you have a if you have a large family, and then of course the you start getting in laws and stuff that come yeah. in yeah. involved. So yeah, Christmas under the tree really went well into the afternoon. We'd have to wow. stop, have some breakfast, and then go back at it. Wow. <laughs> well, or, yeah. Were you yeah. eating that breakfast in like record time because you wanted to get back to opening presents? That's what I would be doing. Oh, uh, and we had huge. We were given as kids. Um, my mom's somewhere along the line, we were given stockings that weren't stockings. It cost my parents a fortune to fill them and why they kept them. I don't know, but they were massive. <laughs> so first we had the stockings, then we'd stop and go to have a little something to eat, then go to the tree and then stop and have something to eat. Wow. Yeah. yeah so it took a long time. And those stockings, I have never filled since. They just sit there. <laughs> They're a pretty view on Filled the with air. Yes, yeah. exactly. One other tradition we have in our household is, uh, and this is more or less when uh, I was growing up as a kid, when we were done unwrapping all the gifts, uh, either myself, my brother, or, or my sister would say, well, another 365 days till the next Christmas. <laughs> and then off we went to do our things. Shona, anything stick out for you? Uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, we all did uh, the Christmas stockings, yep. you know, and, and you had to stay in your bedroom. And play with the stuff that was in your Christmas stocking yep. until mom and dad woke up, or there would be the big heck. <laughs> <laughs> and we would hand out the presents. My mom would always keep hers aside because she wanted to watch everybody else open oh, theirs. Okay. Yep. And then, of course, being an actress, she had all of her presents <laughs> to <laughs> At <open>. the end. <laughs> yes. Wow. But we also have a, a secret family recipe cookie that has been handed down on my mother's side of the family from generation to generation. Hmm. Um, and it is for a cookie called a Kipferlin. Now, a few years back, Sophia Angelinides, who used to be a cabinet minister, mm-hmm. uh, she was a frequent guest on our show. She brought in a plate of cookies because I was talking to her between Christmas and New Year's, and there was this round little cookie that was on there. And I took a bite of it and was like, what's in this? And she listed all of the ingredients. It's the same ingredients from my family's recipe. Her background is Greek. Uh, This came from the uh, Austro-German side of my mother's family, and the only difference is the shape of the cookie. 
Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Uh, before we let you go, here are some other weird Christmas traditions. In Japan, they avoid sending red Christmas cards as associated with death or grieving. Ooh. In Norway, Norwegians hide their brooms to prevent them from being stolen or used by evil entities. And in Iceland... <laughs> that, that's an excuse not to sweep. <laughs> yeah. Come on! In Iceland, they have the Yule Cat, which devours naughty children. <laughs> So don't be fooling around in Iceland. Wow, that oh is goodness. a mean thing. I mean, Santa doesn't come for us, but there you get devoured. <laughs> yes. Holy cow. Did want to grow up in they Iceland. They are not That's messing sure. around. Not at all. Well, Merry You're Christmas, behaving. everybody. <laughs> yes, Merry Christmas to you, Merry too, Christmas. Paul and Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It has certainly been a roller coaster of a year for uh, everyone, including those involved in federal politics. And uh, that includes Philomena Tassi, Hamilton West Ancaster Dundas, Liberal MP and Minister of Public Services and Procurement. And Ms. Tassi joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Philomena. Good morning, Rick. Um, I guess we'll start with the big story of the year, and that's COVID-19. And, you know, the daily grind that is with all of us as we go through, you know, each of our lives um, the federal government's response has been criticized at times, has been heralded at times. How difficult has 2021 been in responding to this pandemic? Well, I think first and foremost, I want to thank Canadians because I think that, uh, you know, Canadians across this country have stepped up in terms of uh, responding. And we, of course, as a government, want to support Canadians in their response. So, um, but but listen, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy for Canadians, uh, and we realize that. The key for our government, the focus has always been on getting Canadians through this pandemic, providing the supports that they need, making the investments that we need to make so that we can have a strong recovery. And, you know, I'm honoured, of course, now to take on the procurement file and, you um, ensure that, for example, we have enough vaccines, we have enough rapid tests, we have enough PPE, but that has been the focus of our government. And, um, you know, with the help of Canadians, because it takes from procurement rate to uh, needles in arms, you know the, the, the army that it takes in order to bring that full um, uh, cycle full circle, right? So uh, really, I want to thank Canadians for stepping up and, and supporting the government and working together with us. You took over the uh, procurement portfolio from Anita Anand, who did a, a phenomenal job, I, I think, in that regard. How uh, did you view this new appointment as a daunting task, knowing that we were still, you know, in the depths of the pandemic? <laughs> Am I able to say that, Rick? Uh, listen, I'm honoured. I'm honoured to have been asked by the Prime Minister to serve in this portfolio. And you are absolutely right. Minister Anand left uh, left. Uh, this uh, portfolio in very good shape. Like you look at the strong procurement efforts that she has uh, undertaken and uh, with respect to all the things that I've mentioned, the vaccines, the PPE, the medical equipment, we are in very good shape because of her strong leadership. And as I've said, you know, she has a team around her, but it's also all those across this country that, uh, that make the success of the things that we procure uh, it's it's in, in hands of Canadians, whether it's the truck driver that's driving or the pilot that's flying uh, the PPE and the vaccines to, um, you know, those that are booking and those that are actually administering the vaccines and, and distributing the PPE. So 
definitely a uh, it's a vast portfolio, and I'm really honoured that the Prime Minister has uh, asked me to serve in this capacity. 2021 was also an election year. It wasn't one that we thought would happen, but as the year rolled around, uh, you know, we, we got word and, and heard uh, the, um, the the signs and read the tea leaves that an election would be called. It eventually happened. When you reflect on the campaign and the election yourself, what comes to mind? Well, you know, we know that this was a tough campaign, right? I, I heard at the doors uh, the frustration that Canadians were experiencing with respect to COVID. Um, there was uh, there was concern of the election being called in the midst of a pandemic. But I think what I would say in response to that, and I've had these conversations with many constituents, that, you know, 2019 was very different when we were elected and the mandate that we had from Canadians. With the onset of COVID, uh, I think if you look at what our government was proposing, whether that be in the nature of vaccines, supporting Canadians, measures on the environment and climate change, our position was very different than the opposition. And the investments that we were making, that we were proposing to make, were significant investments. So I am really um, happy that Canadians have, you know, elected us back, albeit a minority government again. But it was an indication to me that, yes, we are on the right track. We believe that no Canadian should be left behind. All these investments are important. Vaccinations are important. It's important that we combat uh, the, the uh, climate change crisis that we have. So, you know, I know that uh, this time has not been easy for Canadians, but um, appreciate that we have the opportunity to serve once again. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Philomena Tassi, Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, Liberal MP and Minister of Public Services and Procurement. What do you foresee would be the biggest challenges in 2022? Obviously, the pandemic will still be with us. What are some of the other things that you feel need to be addressed, some of those hurdles that you need to leap over? So I think first and foremost, we know that we're not through this yet. And as much as we had hoped that we would be at the end of this pandemic, we're not there. I can tell you that my focus as Minister of uh, Public Services and Procurement is ensuring that we continue to have the supports for Canadians that they need. On the vaccine procurement front, I am delighted that we have enough vaccines and enough boosters for every Canadian that rolls up their arms in order to receive those vaccines. Um, over, We're close to 5 million Canadians now who have had the booster, and that's fantastic. We really want to encourage Canadians to step up and to get their vaccinations and boosters because that's the best way to combat COVID-19. Rapid tests, listen, we've procured 292 million rapid tests. We've been distributing those to provinces and territories. Really happy that provinces and territories are now taking those tests and distributing them because it's another tool in the toolbox the therapeutics that we have uh, procured so that, you know, to minimize the impact of COVID-19, to keep folks out of the hospital if, in fact, they, they, uh, they get COVID. All these things, we're going to continue to ensure that we have the supply there. On the PPE front, you know, we've secured over two and a half billion pieces of PPE. So I think it's, it's important to let Canadians know that we are going to be there on the procurement side with vaccines, with rapid tests, with PPE, everything that we need to get to the other side of this and to have a strong recovery. In terms of my file, I mean, there's certain areas that I really look forward to. I think diversifying our supply chains, you know, ensuring underrepresented groups uh, 
have uh, uh, a better chance at uh, procurement uh, contracts. Um, you know, my previous uh, file as Minister of Labour, forced labour was a real concern for me. I want to work towards eradicating forced labour. Uh, both these things are in my mandate letter, but those are two examples of things that will be uh, high on my priority list. When you think of Hamilton, Philomena, what comes to mind when you think of what we've been through this year and what we can expect in 2022? So I have been very clear. I mean, housing is a number one priority for me. We, we, we need to work harder to ensure that every Canadian has a safe and secure place to call home. Um, and so, you know, we know with the national housing strategy, which is over a $72 billion commitment, Hamilton has secured an, uh, significant funds uh, through the rapid housing initiative, through the co-investment funds. Um, so you get buildings like Ken Sobel and the YWCA and many others around uh, the, um, in the community that are offering supports to Hamiltonians. Um, but we need to continue to work on this file because it's important. We need to provide people with safe and secure place to call home because then we know that it gives them the opportunity to develop their gifts, to um, make contributions that they want to make, but without housing, that's very difficult. So that's a number one issue. I'm happy that the LRT is moving forward um, and there's an opportunity too in, uh, in that project to look at uh, housing, to look at community benefit agreements. Um, I will be keeping a close eye on that and monitoring that. Um, so, so look, those are some of the things. In my writing in particular, I've got three post-secondary institutions, and we know that they are doing incredible work with respect to both the research end, but also training young people to uh, take up the jobs of the future. So those are some of the areas that... Uh, that I would say are of interest to me. And of course, the environment is always um, something that I have uh, strong local advocates that are reaching out to me all the time, Rick, saying, you need to do more. And listen, we, we, hear, uh, we hear that advocacy. We are putting in measures that are going to, uh, you know, hold, we're going to hold our own feet to the fire with putting targets in there that we want to, uh, to reach um, because we know the importance of this for Hamiltonians uh, and for all Canadians and for the world. Just quickly on the on the housing front, I know the provincial government here in Ontario was coordinating a housing summit that had to be delayed or postponed because of the pandemic. From a federal perspective, I know we have a national housing strategy. What can be done at the local level? Because there's a lot of red tape at the municipal level. Can the federal government do anything to, to slash some of that red tape? I think it's continuing to work together, Rick. Like that's that's where the key is. So if there are bumps in the road, if there are obstacles, how can we work together to bring those barriers down? At the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We want to provide safe and secure housing to people. We know that when we do that, we will all benefit as a community, uh, as I've mentioned earlier. So I really think working together, you know, um, it, it, since the time elected in 2015, I think we've run three housing summits here. We've brought partners together in order to get ideas. And I think initiatives like the Rapid Housing Initiative, the Co-Investment Fund, these are really great projects. And these projects come about through receiving input from Canadians about how we can do better. And so, you know, the co-investment piece is great because it, it encourages collaboration amongst community representative and advocates. And in Hamilton, we are really well served because we have so many amazing housing advocates that are working tirelessly 
to move the needle, to get more people housed. And so I think that this sense of collaboration is important. I think when we work collaboratively, we can bring down the barriers uh, together, but we all need to be on the same page in understanding what those barriers are and then what we can do in order to um, eliminate those barriers to get to get people housed. Well said. We'll have to leave it there. Minister Tassi, really thank you for your time. Enjoy the new year, and uh, we'll touch base in 2022. Thank you. The, the best to, to you and to all your listeners. The best of the holiday season. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.